you're listening to the Hotard Huddle Podcast, presented by me, Michael Hotard. Check it out as we dive into sports, movies, music, TV, and more. This is the Hotard Huddle Podcast. Bring it in. It's time for the Hotard Huddle Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hotard. Got a great show coming up for you today. So the way this podcast is going to work, just to give you a quick introduction to what to expect, each episode will start with a general topic that I will dive into very briefly, and then it will be followed up by an interview with a guest. And on today's episode, we have my good friend who is a basketball coach, a high school basketball coach for a respectable program up in Arkansas, Michael Jennings. I'm excited to have him on. We're going to talk a lot of basketball, so stay tuned for that. But right now, I want to dive into something that I've been dealing with as a father lately. And I have an almost two-year-old. He's at that point in his life where nothing is safe that you say. He is like a sponge. You know, you hear that cliche all the time, but damn it if it isn't true. So we have to watch what we say around him. You know, just the other day, uh, I had one of my best friends over with his wife. And when he was over here, we were talking about uh, something politically related. So naturally... You know, we're getting a little animated when we talk, you know, just having a good old time. And he drops an F-bomb. Well, of course, I have uh, Finn, who's right next to me. He's playing with his cars on the floor, whatever. And his wife just kind of looks at him like, Dude, there's a baby here. And, of course, he was like, oh, my bad. And I'm like, yeah, dude, I get it. Trust me. Happens all the time. But... Your heart kind of sinks a little bit, that stomach drops, because he's repeating everything. So anytime I have those slip-ups, I just kind of look and I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for him to just start repeating it, because he also, when he repeats a word, it's just tenfold. He's going to repeat it over and over and over again, and it's just like, how do I stop this? So... One of the things I'm currently dealing with is he has gotten into the habit of calling me Mike instead of Dad. Now, of course, we hear all the time, it's so disrespectful to call your parents by name, whatever the case may be, but, I mean, he's not wrong. My name is Mike, but he's been doing this on repeat. He'll still call me Dad, but, um, you know, once he does call me Mike the first time, if I react to it, he just keeps going. And he just sits there, Mike, 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 stop, stop right now. <laughs> so it's uh, it's one of those interesting hurdles in parenting that uh, you always hear about. But that's what I'm waiting for one day, though, is for it to get worse than Mike. One day I'm playing FIFA or something, and I just drop the emphatic F-bomb, and then all of a sudden, here he comes then I am screwed. Because right now, you know, I mean, even if he were to start cursing, it'd still probably be cute, but you have a little more tolerance, at least in the public eye, when, you know, he's just saying Mike. 
Well, if the kids start saying shit, now we got a problem. So just one of the fun parenting hurdles. But coming up next, Mike Jennings. He will be joining me for a great interview about his run in the college basketball ranks all the way to um, becoming a head coach to an assistant, you know, just kind of jumping through the hurdles of the coaching tree for uh, basketball. He coaches women's basketball at a respectable program up in Arkansas. So we'll hear from him next. On today's episode of the Hotard Huddle Podcast, I'm joined by one of my good friends, one of my longtime friends, a guy I've been knowing since high school, who has worked his way up the coaching ranks uh, in women's basketball, and uh, you know it's been it's been cool to see all the success that's come his way. It's my good friend Mike Jennings. Mike, welcome to the podcast, my friend. Uh, hey, Mike. Yeah, uh, glad to glad to be joining you today. Uh, like you said, we're, we've been we've known each other, gosh, like half of our lives now at this yeah. point. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I appreciate those kind of words about me. Absolutely, man. So before we uh, kind of dive into, um, you know, just some standard subtopics and everything like that, let's let's talk a little bit about you, man. So I think you and I first connected when I was in college. Now, we knew each other before that. We went to high school together. You were obviously a couple of years before me. But we were just kind of talking on Facebook one day. You were at uh, University of Arkansas for the good old Razorbacks, Woo Pig Suey. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we were just kind of chit-chatting. I knew you were a GA for women's basketball. And I was working for Nichols Football at the time and telling you that I was kind of doing the whole video coordinator thing. And I remember you just being like, well, dude, if you want a GA position when you graduate, let me know. Put in the word for you. And, uh, you know, the friendship kind of started there, although we knew each other before, but that's when we really started, you know, talking on a regular basis, I guess. Right. But um, tell us a little bit about your journey from kind of the whole high school basketball to a coach, essentially, and coaching on the opposite side, that is for the women, of course. Yeah, so... First, I'm going to say we met in speech class, right? That yep. was Coach Hughes. Shout out, Coach Hughes. Uh, <laughs> one, one of the best. Legend. Uh, so, legend. Legendary guy. But uh, so my journey started, I went to Arkansas after college, played basketball at Destrian in high school. Uh, I go off to college at Arkansas, still wanted, you know, kind of wanted to get away, but still have that like SEC experience, you know? Uh, so. I decided to major in, I guess, education, physical education, to do the coaching thing uh, because I went to register for classes, excuse me, and saw how many, like, chemistries and biologies you had to take to, like, go be an engineer and all the math classes. I was like, nah, I'm not doing that. Uh, But uh, fast forward, I I enrolled uh, doing the physical education thing, kind of had it in my mind that I would probably just come back home and uh, and coach high school ball down there. My dad coached uh, soccer at uh, Higgins High School. He actually coached uh, at the same time as uh, 
Coach Luquette when he was over there. So they coached uh, together there at the same time. But uh, I was playing pickup basketball at the rec one day, and uh, I was approached to join this uh, women's practice squad. Essentially, it was like a group of guys that would go and practice against the Lady Razorbacks. And uh, like this is like a foreign concept to me, but uh, <laughs> you know, all college teams do it. All co- girls' college teams have a, a male practice squad to kind of simulate a little bit, uh, you know, more speed. Um, you know, just really, really pushing. But anyways, so I decided to join this team, and uh, I thought it was cool because I got to like play on the court at Bud Walton Arena uh, every day. Which uh, people who aren't familiar with that, it's, you know, it's. A 20,000-seat arena. I mean, in the 90s when the Razorbacks were, you know, they won the national championship in 94, like, that place was rocking, you know. So it's a pretty legendary place. And uh, so I thought it was cool. I just got to go out there every day. And uh, flash forward a little bit more. Uh, I do this for about uh, – I do it for a season. So this is 2008, 2009. Not getting paid, just going out there and playing ball every day. Which I Living the dream, like, baby. Yeah. I know how you feel. You just – as long as I get to keep playing, I'm going to keep doing it. Exactly. You know? So it was kind of a way to keep playing like competitive basketball. But uh, I got a work study position. They offered me like a work study position. The coaches uh, at that time did to come like work in the in the office and do uh, like just basically cutting film. Like one, you know, we're on. Uh, oh, what was that dang video program called? You used it at Nichols too. Huddle. Uh, yeah, you're on there hitting one, two, one, two, just cutting film. So I did that, and uh, I needed to make a little bit more money uh, from to pay for school. You know, I was paying for school, and uh, I had a buddy that worked for football. And this is kind of where things get weird. So, and he said they had a position open. It was like a $1,000 scholarship. I could come do that, working video, kind of like you did. And I was like, yeah, I need whatever money I can get. So I got to do spring ball. And Bobby Petrino is the coach, actually. Which <laughs> Motorcycle you know, gang. Yeah, so you know how that went. But uh, So I did that for about a month, and I realized that like that really wasn't going to help me you know, advance my career in any way. It's not something that I was going to pursue in the future. And so I talked to the basketball coaches again, and they – basically matched the scholarship so I could come out there and be an official manager. So I was a manager for the team at this point. Uh, and with that came a little bit more responsibility. Um, I started helping with uh, kind of getting that male practice squad ready, uh, you know, teaching them the other team sets and tendencies of the players of the other team uh, that we were going to be playing that night. So if we were playing Tennessee, I would, you know, the coach that was in charge of defense would kind of be like, hey, here's what you need to teach these guys. Have them ready to run it in this segment of practice, you know. So I did that for a year, and I graduated. And uh, you know how this feels. You you have this college degree, and you're just like, all right, like, how am I going to get a job now? Here I am. So I wrote a letter or typed up an email and sent it to every uh, Division One coach in, in America. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm looking for anything, graduate assistant type thing, whatever. 
So I only get one response. <laughs> I get one response out of these hundreds of letters. And uh, it was from actually Mike Neighbors, who uh, was the coach at Washington for a couple years when they made their run in the Final Four. Uh, coached uh, Kelsey Plum, who was the number one pick. I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, but he was he, he was the only one that messaged me back. So this coach, he was at Xavier at the time, he messaged me back. Uh, and he said, hey, man, like, I was in your same exact position, you know, 20 years ago. Like, I don't have anything, but just kind of keep plugging. And, uh, long, you know, flash forward, he is now the coach at Arkansas. And recruited one of my players this year, but we'll get to that. Uh, but I ended up... Uh, basically going into the head coach at Arkansas's office at the time, his name is Tom Collin. And, uh, I say, man, like, I don't have anything. Like, like, I don't know what to do. And he, uh, he's like, all right, well, I'll, um, you know, he, he got, he got, he found a way to get me the money to be a GA for two years. And it was like the best two years of my life. <laughs> um, uh, you get to, I mean, I got to travel around the SEC, um, go to every campus, kind of check out every every arena, like legendary arenas. Well, dude, uh, I think that's where you and I kind of connected on everything because yeah. you, I, I think I can say this and you understand exactly what I mean by this. And it sounds very just, I guess, I, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but it's just, it's kind of smoke and mirrors essentially. But once, once I felt like I started seeing more of the backdoor stuff at Nichols. Granted, this was a smaller Division One program, but it's still Division One. It's still, some degree, major college football. And once you're inside of a program, you, you start looking at sports from the inside out versus the outside in, essentially. Um, and I think once you get that kind of perspective... It sort of changes your whole outlook on the entire equation, so to speak, because now everything you that an athlete does or a coach does or GM does, you're just kind of you're trying to check all the boxes, essentially looking at that from a more analytical standpoint of, OK, why did they do this? Not just the typical shock jock, knee jerk reaction type um type deal that you get with a lot of fans, a lot of message boards and things like that. So I think when you and I kind of started talking, you know, more as friends, more so than just, hey, you're from speech class in high school. Um, I think you and I kind of connected on that level because, I mean, dude, I used to remember I'd sit in my my dorm room or I'd sit on a bus and, dude, you and I would just go back and forth for – freaking days about one particular sports topic that we were infatuated on at the time and i i don't know man like it's just it was always one of those people you were always one of those people that i could just connect with on that kind of level and just have those conversations with which was always cool right yeah it, it completely you couldn't be more correct the way you watch sports now not that you don't watch them as a fan and you don't enjoy it but like you said, there's no more knee-jerk reactions. Like, why? You know, why is that person playing bad? Like, well, maybe they broke up with their girlfriend the day before, or you know, like you have you have no idea what it takes. Like, what goes on beside behind the scenes and, and the work that it takes and everything that goes into these 
even like you said, mid-major, even now, I'm back down in high school, what, what it takes to put a product out there on the floor, on the field, and uh, like you said, there's this much more sense of, like, ownership, but, uh, yeah, I, I felt like you were somebody that, like, I could talk to and would not get those re- knee-jerk reactions because you're in the locker room and you're you're seeing what's going on and you're seeing the, the dynamics of things, so uh, you and I kind of had a similar perspective, I guess, on on uh, the world of sports and, and everything that goes into it, not just as somebody being involved, uh, but as a fan, which we all are. Everybody's a fan of sports. Absolutely. If even if you're in the business, like, you know, obviously you're still professional, and uh, but you're a fan. Like, you're still going to watch games and be a fan of, of the games. So. And, dude, like, uh, you know, even I guess for you as a coach and even me working with a lot of the – with the team, essentially, you become fans of even your own players to some degree. Like, you obviously are going to have one that you just kind of look at and you're like, okay, cool, great potential there. Let's see what happens. And you want to pull for them. And, you know, it just comes with the territory of being not only an employee but a fan, you know. you Now, of course, for you as a coach, it would it's a little different for me as a videographer who's literally just standing behind a camera pointing it and shooting but as a coach, you obviously have to kind of look at things from all sides of the coin. Whereas me with video, well, doesn't really matter. I'm just a video guy. But, but um, you know, kind of your journey in uh, what you talked about earlier. I think it's, you know, we have very similar, I guess, paths, so to speak, in terms of, you know, once you get in with these programs, there's not a whole lot they can do for you, but the things they can do, they will try their best. Like, for example, with me, our head coach at Nichols at the time, Charlie Stubbs, um, you know, he he appreciated the work I did. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, he never came down on me or we never butted heads because he's a very high-strung individual, but there was always respect towards me, I felt, and he always went to the plate for me because I remember, you know, the first year I get there, um, he was impressed with me in fall camp and they were trying to work out the kinks of my scholarship because it was very last minute uh, when they hired me. You know, new regime comes in, probably one of the last things they're worried about, oh crap, who's going to film practices? So he gets me into the office and he wanted to give me a full ride initially. I was like, dude, uh, yes. So unfortunately... He wasn't able to do that, but um, I wound up working for, I think it was 1500 per semester, which, you know, looking at my student loans now, I, I'm grateful for that little bit of money I got. But one of the coolest parts about him was when I graduated, he was still the head coach, and he, uh, he called me and, you know, called for me to come to his office and meet him at the end of the day during finals, um, you know, wasn't sure what it was for, you know, my time was pretty much over there. Um, but he calls me into the office. He's like, look, you know, I think you've done an amazing job for us. You've been very loyal. You've always been a hard worker. Um, I have 5,000 left over in our scholarship budget. I want you to have it. I was like, oh, well shit, man. You yeah, know, I'm done with school. <laughs> right. I was like, dude, that's awesome. So, you know, I got to put an extra five towards towards my scholarship or towards my uh, student loans and everything. That was cool. You know, for me, 
you know, when I got that, I'm just kind of thinking, well, damn, like, I'm just a video guy. Now, granted, you know, I, I say that, but in the same breath, I mean, there were nights where I stayed up on a bus ride home until 6 a.m. trying to cut up film, stuff like that, uh, because you know as well as I do, you have X amount of time to get that game film on Huddle downloaded so other teams can see it. If not, your university gets fined. Um, so there, of course, were some late nights. Like I remember sleeping in the coach's office while I was waiting for film to upload and then yeah. waking up and finishing it. But, you know, that's that's the nature of the beast. That's the side of college sports that people don't see, and that's even for just the lowly nickel state at the time. And, right. you know, going back to that 5,000, dude, like I said, I mean, that was that was awesome. I was, I was so happy and so humbled by that because I'm just like, you know, you got however many players for your program who are doing more from a – capital standpoint than I am right. but you're gonna give me that little bit great right right yeah and like you said like for us like we would have done it for free for a you know until you know like obviously money was nice but like just getting to be around that was just like it's amazing to me like as somebody growing up who loves sports like I got you know going those places and seeing those things I'm sure it's the same thing for you even though it was low level like well, dude, like even yeah, I mean, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, even though it was Nichols and you know Southland Conference, it isn't huge. You still have some fairly big, small D one programs like Sam Houston, Central Arkansas. Right. Central Arkansas was cool. They had the purple turf, which was sick. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. So, um, the other. Uh, some of the places I got to go as a result of this, I mean, first year there, I get to go to San Diego. We're staying, you know, we're playing SDSU at Qualcomm. So I'm seeing the old um, Padres locker room. I'm seeing Qualcomm Qualcomm Stadium, which I I fully understand why the Chargers left. That stadium was a dump, (laughs) however, eight years ago, whatever that was. But, um. It was cool to see San Diego. I got to go to Eugene, Oregon to watch them get slaughtered by the Ducks. Got to go to Corvallis to watch them play Oregon State. So you got to see some of these big programs. And of course, that's kind of the high. You know, that's the thing you highlight in the schedule as an employee for the team. You know, when we were uh, being a video guy, this means a couple of things. One, I kind of am left alone because they're more concerned about their players. So I can go out and have a good time as long as I'm not causing a scene the next day because I'm hungover, then all bets are off. As long as I get my job done, I'm left alone, which was the cool part about being a videographer. You're just right. basically a fly on the wall. Well, that's what changed between my, my time as a GA and then going to full-time coaching. When I was a GA, it was kind of the same thing. Uh, you know, a lot of the work that I did was done before we went on these trips. So it was, you know, scouting reports, you know, getting things ready, um, you know, and kind of on the trip, I was more of a kind of a moving bags, making sure things are set up type thing. But once that was done, you know, you can go, you know, me and the radio guy and the strength coach, uh, we'd all go find someplace to go in, you know, Knoxville or Nashville or Gainesville or Athens, name, name the SEC town. That was, that was the coolest one of the coolest parts of the job was getting to see these cities going to we played in salt lake city uh one of the coolest gyms this is a cool story one of the coolest gyms i've ever been to 
uh, we went out and played UTEP, which is old Texas Western University, which they made the uh, movie Glory Road about. So there was a lot of really cool stuff in their gym uh, having to do with that. Um, and then uh, my, it was my first year as a GA. We went to Tennessee. It was Pat Summit's last year coaching. And uh, we won at Tennessee for the first time in school history. That's in Pat insane. Summit's, yeah, second to last home game. So, you know, there's 18,000 people watching a girls' basketball game, which you never see. You know, we're used to playing in gyms with a couple thousand people, which is still a lot. But, uh, you know, that was definitely a moment uh, in my coaching career I'll, I'll never forget, even if it was as a GA. Um, you know, beating Tennessee was, was – it was incredible. Uh, and then I moved on. I can tell you about this now. I moved on from Arkansas, and uh, I couldn't get a job for like four months after – you know, after I had finished grad school, and uh, I got a call from uh, a place I had never heard of. It was Washtenaw Baptist yep. University. Yep. Okay. It's a Division II school, NCAA Division II school in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. <laughs> now, like... Can I just tell you before you go on? Yeah. You're the only reason I know that a place called Arkadelphia, Arkansas exists. Because well, that, yeah, when, when you got the job there, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting town. Well... Never forget that. I actually, I name dropped that city not too long ago, but go on. <laughs> yeah, but it's, but it's funny because I had to do the same thing. I, I had lived in Arkansas for six years at that point, and I had never heard of that place. Uh, so it's in Fayetteville, where, where I'm at now, where the university is, uh, is uh, in the northwest corner of the state. Uh, so we're about... 30 miles from Oklahoma, you know, 45 minutes from Missouri. We're way up here. Arkadelphia is an hour south of Little Rock. Uh, so it's about an hour and a, hour and a half from the Louisiana border. And so I take, I, I didn't have a job, you know. I said, well, I might as well. I went down there and interviewed and um, got offered to go work there. And uh, I, I took it. I didn't, I mean, I didn't have anything else. I had one other interview. I interviewed at Furman in South Carolina. Uh, and that didn't work out, but this was my only option. And you're going to laugh at my salary, but I was the only assistant coach. Uh, there's a head coach and me. Uh, my salary uh, was $20,500 for the year. So uh, do your numbers on taxes and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I'm pulling in like 1100 bucks a month. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, um, but it was the best three years for me. Um, my head coach's wife uh, had a little bout with cancer, which she ended up, she's clear to this day from it. But uh, so he was gone a lot. So I'm 24 years old and I'm essentially having to run a division two basketball program by myself. So I'm doing all of our recruiting. I'm doing all of our scouts. I'm, uh, you know, I'm making, I'm, I'm the study hall monitor. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, making sure that I'm checking their grades. I'm doing, you know, like you, it, it went from me being like a small piece of the puzzle at Arkansas to me doing about, you know, the job that 10 people were doing in Arkansas by myself, you know, to try to, so it was good for me. Like imagine that, like those three years were great for me. Uh, a lot of 18 hour days, uh, driving to, you know, driving all, you know, we're not flying on a recruiting budget of $8,000. So we're riding in vans and buses and 
I'm driving for recruiting, and it was, it's not all all glorious. Uh, well, so. that's what, that's the part of sports people, I, I feel like, forget that it really gets lost, both on a collegiate and professional level, because, you know, people look, for example, baseball contracts right now, they're enormous, and people look at that and think, man, it'd be great to be a professional baseball player, but how much did those guys have to grind, uh, you know, in the farm systems and in the minor leagues where they're working for probably pennies on the dollar and traveling in those stingy buses and things like that? They don't see the the product behind the bigger product, so to speak. And that's what's crazy that gets lost because obviously once you start talking dollar signs it becomes all about the benjamins i mean let's be honest well that's the thing people don't understand too they're like oh it'd be great to get into coaching like must be really cool being a college coach well unless you're like at a major you know mid-major to major division one school and you're not if you're a coach yeah you're, you're probably making a pretty decent living but if you go to these smaller schools small d1s d2s d3s jucos i mean we're if you're not the head coach you're not making any money absolutely you know know, you're not making you're not making anything and i think the the thing in this business is everybody there's only so many plays you can run i'll use basketball as an example basketball there's only so many things that you can do football there's only so many things for you can do and at this point you know, everybody. If you're a good, you know, good coach, you everybody knows about the same amount. It's can you get players, and if you can lag onto somebody's coattails, you can go a really long way. You know, it's it's just a matter of luck. Like you said, if your coach at Nichols would have won, you know, ten or eleven games for a couple of years, and he gets, you know, he gets the call to go coach someplace bigger, like you're fortunate enough to just happen to be here there with him at that time that's really the only way you're making it up well you know you you bring up that example i mean right now nichols is in a bright spot with tim rebo as their head coach they've made the playoffs um multiple years um or i don't know if it's multiple years i'll have to fact check that but they made the playoffs they've completely revamped this program from not just a winning standpoint, but total atmosphere because I've gone to a couple of games in the last few years and oh my God, it is night and day from what it was when I was there. And it's so great to see. And you know, you talk about having to fight to keep those guys around. I don't know how Nichols did it. Don't care how. And doesn't matter what they had to do to get it done. But that was the big thing after, um, after Tim Rebo and all the success he's had last offseason, there was a big question mark. Is he going to stick around? Is he going to be here? And they wind up extending his contract, paying him a hefty load. I can't remember the exact figure. But, you know, luckily for, for Nichols, you know, he went there. And he's as local as they come, being from Norco, Louisiana, which you're very familiar with. It's right oh, yeah. in our backyard. And... He's choosing the Nichols lifestyle over maybe something bigger, which is awesome for our football program and our athletic department in general because you know as well as I do, especially being around the SEC, that's the sport that rules the South. 
If you're good in football, your athletic department will likely thrive from that. Oh, yeah. Anybody who's, and this is even trickling down to the high school level now, working at a big high school, if your football team does well, everybody does well. You know, because more people are showing up to games, more people are, there's more excitement around the school, and that trickles down. You know, I'm not unrealistic, you know. Women's basketball is probably the third or fourth sport at most schools, you know. And uh, so we, everybody in general is going to gain from that. So Nichols is going to get better in other things because that's going to be generating more excitement, more revenue, and all those things that, that go with it. And everybody that works for Tim Rebo, not only does he get the raise, you know, there's, there's, you know, he gets to take care of his staff now. And if you're fortunate enough to be on somebody's staff like that, that's great. You know, you and I, the timing didn't work out like that, but it, it, it's good to see that happen for, for other people. Absolutely. Now with your, with your current position, um, so you started that, what, how many years ago? So Northwest Arkansas was my recruiting, a big recruiting area for me. Uh, a lot of lot of talent up here. This is a very, uh, it's a growing area. People, it's kind of a hidden gem in America. We don't want people to know about it, but Walmart <laughs> corporate office is located here in Northwest Arkansas. So if you're going to do business with Walmart, uh, you've got to have a vendor there. So the area has exploded with all of these businesses putting offices here. So those people obviously are very well educated, very wealthy. So there's been a lot of money poured into the schools around here. So you're starting to see some like pretty big athletes come out of this area. Malik Monk was one who plays for the uh, Charlotte Hornets now, played at Kentucky. Uh, he played high school ball up here. And there's a lot of really high-level athletes coming out of this area right now. So I uh, recruited a girl from the school I'm at now, which is Springdale High School. It's uh, it's in the 7A classification. We have seven classifications up here. Uh, so we've got about 2,200 students. We're the biggest high school in the state. But I recruited a kid from here, and uh, they had an opening on their staff as an assistant coach. And if I took this job, my salary would nearly triple. And uh, I would still get to be kind of coaching high-level high school basketball. Uh, and I would get to live in Fayetteville again, which was the most, one of the most important things to me. I absolutely love Fayetteville. Um, so, uh, we kind of switched places. Once I signed this kid, I decided about a week later, I was going to go, uh, take kind of switch places with her. That's kind of the joke. I, I recruited this kid. She went down to Washington and then <laughs> I came up to coach, but, uh, this, I'm entering my fourth season, uh, at Springdale high school. So, uh, I've, I've kind of traveled down the ranks. You know, I started in division one then I went to division two and now I'm coaching, what I would consider to be very high level uh, high school basketball. Well, I remember uh, you. I, I remember you talking about that when you got the job because you were telling me um, you were going to go back to go back to coaching high school, and uh, you. I remember you telling me about this program. It was prominent. It was a big program in the state, um, and you've they've had a lot of solid talent come through the high school that you're at so i mean that's pretty cool too i mean in in a sense of you know a lot of people i guess first instinct would be oh college to high school it must be a downgrade but it also depends on the size of the high school i mean if you're going to a prominent place 
I mean, proof's in the pudding. When you say your your salary, you know, tripled, that's a huge win. And then on top of that, you know, you get the get to live in the place you want. But um, as far as as far as the the uh, school you're at now, you know, in the four years you've been there, you know, what's been some of the big uh, big victories for you? So we've had uh, since I have been here. Uh, I'm gonna have to count. We had four kids signed to play college ball this past year. Uh, three JUCOs and one uh, girl that is going to be playing at Arkansas next year. Uh, then uh, we've had probably nine, I guess, eight or nine signed on full college scholarships since I've been here, which, you know, most places don't have one, you know. So we we feel really fortunate. Uh, some of the bigger wins that we've had, we've gone to the state tournament all three years that I've been here. We've made uh, the quarterfinals twice, uh, which is I think is a, is a great accomplishment at, at any level. Uh, but we've uh, the big the big rivals up here, Fayetteville, obviously Bentonville, which are two Bentonville, which is where the Walmart corporate is. But again, two like very big high schools, two thousand kids. Um, well, that's not fair. They're funded by Walmart. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we won't get we won't get into that, but. Uh, seen anything like it we're, we're talking gyms with you know 1500 people in them you know uh packed out loud gyms that you, i never played at washington i i can remember games at tip off where there'd be five people in the stands and that was like literally five i would count them and, <laughs> but uh it's been a, a very cool place it, it's a lot like Destrehan High School, where we went, uh, very, very mixed school as far as, uh, you know, socioeconomically and racially, just very diverse school, uh, which I like. I, I like being there. And, uh, you know, I've had other opportunities to go to smaller schools, but it's uh, where my heart is. My heart's here. Um, I have a good life. I have, I have a good, uh, I'm getting married, which is awesome. Uh, so I, I've built a good life here, and uh, I'm really happy about it. And I, I'm sure you can say the same thing about your career path. Um, you know, it, it may not have been what you thought you were going to be doing, you know, even six years, five or six years ago, but I'm not sure you changed anything about it. No, I mean, you asked me 10 years ago what I'm doing. In my mind, I was going to be on ESPN, but after looking at the dumpster fire there, you know, even if they offered me, I'd obviously turn that down because Hotard Huddle, I mean, is obviously way more relevant. I, I mean, it's going to be a giant. It's going to be. <laughs> it's going to take off. It's the next bar stool. Absolutely, but no, man, and you know, I guess now that this has kind of come full circle, we're talking about high school. You know, one of the uh, one of the first things that popped in my head. Uh, in terms of speech class when that's where we first met you know we sat right next to each other at speech class uh goofed around the entire time you know typical but typical we uh one of my favorites so i remember we had to bring an object and we had to do an object speech and explain why that object's important and what it means and you walk up there you had a piece of yarn and you started going into your speech you're like yeah this is my yarn. There's a lot like it, but this one is mine. And then you just start talking about the fabric of it and everything like that. And I'm just like, 
this dude here. And I don't know what you got on that speech, but if it were up to me, and I'm sure Coach Hughes gave you an A for effort because you're talking about yarn, but uh, mm-hmm. if it were up to me, I mean, that was an A speech all the way. Well, you know, you, I got a little bit of that from, you know, the Stanley Kubrick movie, uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. You know, that, part of, that was part of it, and I think Hughes, like, appreciated me kind of diving into that, but I could talk about anything. You know, I could, I, and I still can't, you know, like, I think that's probably what makes me a good teacher and a good coach. Did you, like, uh, really... did you take any speech classes in college? Uh, well, you know, teaching, you know, that's all, I took all these education classes that's where I true. had to teach and speak in front of my peers, and that's the hardest thing in the world to do, speak in front of your peers. Yeah. Uh, but going through all these education classes and all the coaching that I've had to do, you have to be able to react instantly to things. And I think even at a young age, I, I could do that. Like I could think of things off of the top of my head, like it wasn't anything. So that's where things went really well for me in speech class. And I think, you know, now that I've been teaching and coaching for 10 years, uh, or been involved with basketball for 10 years, uh, you know, it's just something that kind of comes naturally at this point. You know, I don't have to do a whole lot of thinking. Yeah. So. It's, um, I guess for you as a coach, you know, obviously game days are huge, but I don't know, I guess what's, this may seem like a very basic question, but what, what's the most fun part of, of coaching for you? I mean, cause I've, I've asked that question to other friends of mine who coach and the answers kind of vary a little bit, all come from the same three or four general statements, but overall for you, I mean, what's, what's the high for you? cliche but seeing like the light bulb click in a kid like seeing a kid get something see see a kid uh, succeed in something that they probably didn't think would ever be possible um, a lot of my players are from very broken homes uh, so they are uh, they're fighting their way through life they're scrapped like the, it's more than basketball seeing some of my kids graduate who probably if they didn't play basketball and didn't have an, you know, if I didn't have an influence on them, our coaching staff didn't have an influence on them, they would never be in the position they were in. And that was the same thing in college when I was coaching college as well. A lot of those kids didn't come from the best homes and uh, seeing those kids graduate, I think is one of the coolest things in the world. Seeing how happy they are that they have a high school diploma or college diploma when that was never an option you know, for them growing up, they never thought it was an option. And uh, kind of seeing, like, the growth of kids over years, because I've spent basically, you know, I spent five years at Arkansas, three at my preview, you know, at Washita, and now three at uh, Springdale. So I've seen a whole class of kids go through. You know, I've seen them when they were freshmen, and then they come, you know, I get, you know, you watch them grow. I think that's, you know, the most satisfying thing for me. Yeah, I love winning. Like, you don't, look, winning's awesome, but... I think you're not in this profession if you're not a coach, if you're not about relationships, you know. So uh, seeing those kids succeed and the relationships that you have with them, uh, even after they're done, that's that's what it's all about to me, you know. Well, I think a lot of coaches are kind of breaking that mold in a sense of um, putting winning first and foremost. I mean, obviously it's important. Uh, I, I know you're competitive, I'm competitive to an absolute fault. 
Um, you know, just the other day I was playing pickup flag football and my team lost and my good friend was trying to talk to me after the game. We're picking up cones and he was telling me to calm down and I was just like, I will calm down. Just give me 10 fucking minutes. And I'm just, you know, we stand on the sideline. Five minutes later, we're having a beer laughing. It's just, you know, when you when you get wrapped up in sports, it just becomes ingrained in your DNA to win. But for you as a as a coach and for a lot of these young coaches, I think I think the human element kind of trumps the the whole win factor, so to speak, at this point. Because, um, you know, back then, I, I say back then, I mean, I guess prior to maybe around the time we were growing up, things started to evolve. But Winning was the only thing that mattered. And, of course, there are still coaches like this. I've played for some like this. But it just sucks the fun out of the game. And, you know, I think now we've become more adapted to, okay, well, cool. Some days you win, some days you lose. As long as you kind of put your best foot forward, even in a loss, there's there's plenty to take away from. I mean, and that goes for sports. That goes for life. That goes for anything. I mean... I, I'm someone, and I feel like you're probably, knowing you, I mean, I, I feel like this is probably a lot of the same sentiments for you, but I've, I've, I'm the type of person who can look at a loss as much more valuable than a win in a lot of cases, because if you know how to lose, if you know how to take a punch off the mouth and just kind of shake it off, figure out how to fix it, I mean, ultimately, that's that's a big win. And for a lot of these players who do come from the broken homes, I mean, that's essentially what's going to help them get past that broken side of their life. Yeah. So, you know, things have changed. You're, you're, you're right. And, and kids haven't changed. Kids are all the same. Kids want discipline. Kids want to be held accountable. Kids want the approval of, you know, of their coach or of their parent. And I think, parents are not allowing their kids to, to fail and face a little bit of adversity and that's where things have changed and uh, things that kids kids are the same kids love accountability they love discipline but it's the parents that have to allow them to do that you know parents have to allow them to do that and uh, if you if we can teach these kids most of my job is not basketball most of my job is not coaching I probably spend 10% of my time on the actual coaching of the game. It's managing personalities. It's teaching these kids, teaching kids right from wrong, teaching kids to be accountable, teaching kids to be on time, to work hard, to do what's not expected of them, you know, do more than what's expected of them. And if you can teach them to do those things, like they, that leads to success on the floor. But it's doing those things that leads to success at this point. Everybody can coach basketball. It's how do you manage, how, you know, how do you grow these kids and get the absolute most out of them that you can? Well, I think you doing that and any coach doing that, it's essentially leading by example because, um, you know, you talk about them being held accountable and needing discipline and stuff like that and just kind of going above and beyond for themselves if no one else well, they're kind of learning from you from doing that for them. And, you know, I, I, I mean, I think of some of the best teachers I've ever had throughout school. And, 
you know, they were the type of people who would do that for their students or their their uh, athletes. You know, they would go above and beyond. You know, we uh, we mentioned a guy like Coach Hughes, who again, speech class in high school, he's very well respected. A lot of people like Coach Hughes. He's a he, he's a freaking huge personality, but he's always gonna gonna be there and go the extra mile for you if you need right. help. Like, right? He's he's gonna be there every day. So. There are days when you're not. I'm not gonna feel good. I could be sick, but I've got to show up. It doesn't matter if I'm sick. So if I ask them to be there every day, I've got to be there every day. If I ask them to be there early, I've got to be there early. If I ask them to put in extra time, I've got to put in extra time. So, so I'm not gonna ask them to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. Absolutely. You know, and that, that's what good teachers and good coaches do. No kid is gonna respect you. You think a kid doesn't know? Kids are smart. If, if you ask a kid to show up early and you're, they see you walking in five minutes before practice, not prepared, without a plan, they're gonna notice that. You know, so I think that like it's, it's exactly right. Good teachers and good coaches were people that were doing the same things that they're asked their students to do. Yeah. Students and players notice that. Absolutely. Um, Kind of, kind of going back to uh, to high school here. So before you know, you agreed to come on. We were kind of talking about this, hyping up for it, getting excited, and everything. Of course, with this being the first one and you coming on, which is awesome. Um, you know, there there are two stories that uh, I have to absolutely bring up. The first, so when we were we had just met in speech class, probably couple of weeks prior to this happening but there was one particular time so the baseball team when you know before I washed out um you know they had their workouts uh, a couple of times a week at night and you guys some of the basketball team was in that uh in the locker room working out and one of the things that started coming of it was hey after workouts let's go play tackle football that's a seems like a really smart idea for a bunch of athletes so we went over to uh, Ormond Field back before they built all the baseball fields on it, and we played football. And, dude, I remember, you know, next day in speech class, because there was a couple of people in class who were, you know, we were obviously talking about it because, you know, athletes have a tendency to toot their own horns, and that never changes, which is why I'm about to toot mine. But I remember I get I, I get picked. I, I shouldn't say I get picked. I, uh... No, actually, I, I did. Think you were like you were like the default last person. No, I was actually the second to last person. You actually did pick me over the person that was last, maybe. But either way, it was one of the last two picks. It's that typical PE like, "Why am I here?" moment. And uh, like shortly into the game, like you and I talked in class. You knew I was a huge football fanatic. And dude, I just remember, like, some point early in the game. You just launch one of me as I run a deep post downfield. And, I mean, it hung up there, and I just chased it down, went under it, and got it. And I just remember you just kind of running up and be like, all right, cool, I see you, fam. Like, you know, cool, it is what it is. And then probably like four other times of that game, same thing happened. And after about the third time, I just remember everyone was kind of like, is someone going to cover him? Why is he catching all the passes? Even though I'm clearly dicking everyone, but still no love, we walk into speech the next day and we were just like, "Yeah, suck it." Yeah, 
yeah, it's probably not a good idea to be doing that. Uh, <laughs> looking back, but that's probably like ninety percent of the things in high school. Like, why? Why did I do that? But, uh, but that's like just another good example of like just being a sports lover, man. Just, uh, just loving the game, and no matter what we're doing, if we're playing tiddlywinks, if we're playing hopscotch, we're going to be competitive. And uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That's a good story. It was a it was a good time, man. But uh, another the other thing that I always think of. So, which if you come back in town next season for uh, Pelicans, dude, we're going to a game. Um, but we uh, we went to a game. What that was probably two three years ago. Um, we go to a game and they're playing the Rockets, right? And this was when Dwight Howard was there, and. It was Howard, Harden, and Pat Beverly, and we get upgraded. We get bumped up. We're sitting like six rows deep in the in the first level, yeah. and we're right behind the Rockets bench. And dude, I just remember sitting there screaming up a storm at Harden, Howard, and Beverly the entire game and not letting up. And uh, uh, you know, in the midst of his playoff run, Patrick Beverly with the Clippers. I'm just sitting there thinking about it, and I'm like, you know, as much as I hated him on that day and at that time, I got to say, man, Pat Beverly has probably become one of my favorite guys in the NBA just because you do not want to go against him. This playoff, when he gets buck up in uh, Kevin Durant's face, you could tell he was inside the head of who's supposed to be one of the top superstars in the game. And, dude, he's just a gritty, nasty, scrappy little son of a gun, dude. He is a baller. You know where he went to college, right? I do, Arkansas. He went to Arkansas <laughs> for one year. He went for one year while I was there. Uh, and the thing about Patrick Beverly is, you know, he's just another one of those guys that came from nothing, and he plays with the chip on his shoulder, and he has found what he is good at, and he does it dang well, you know, you think about the Clippers' defense is going to be nasty. Oh my god! Uh, with I know. all those guys, they uh, thing with Pat Beverly, dude, is he's just one of those guys. He never looks rattled, and he's usually the one rattling the cages. Because a lot of guys that that have that that quick bark, they can't bite. You know, you you bark back at them, they kind of fold. Beverly's a different beast. He's a different animal, man, and uh. You know, it was funny with him entering free agency and, all, of course, all the Kawhi Leonard talk. But, dude, I, I mean, I'm I'm salivating at the idea of watching that team play next season with that defense because between Beverly, Paul George, um, Kawhi, uh, Montrez Harrell, all these guys, man, they are going to be loaded on defense. And, dude, I'm not going to be surprised if, they they set records for the the defensive season they may have and that was one of the things I said about the Clippers this season I you know watching them against the Warriors if they just had that one guy that one superstar to just kind of feed whether it be a guy like Duran or Kawhi that team's winning a championship I'm already banking on this one next season well I uh, I'm like a very big defense guy that's kind of always been my role on the coaching staffs that I've been on. I was a GA for uh, 
my second year as a GA, I was a GA for a, a lady named Nikki Collin, who is now, uh, she has worked her way up, and she's a head coach in the WNBA, but uh, actually reigning WNBA Coach of the Year. I'll give her a shout-out on that one. Nice. Uh, but uh, I learned defense from her. You know, I learned I learned defense from her, and I'm a big defense guy. And so when I'm looking at NBA free agency, I'm looking at everything the Pelicans have done, I'm like, all right, did they get better defensively? Because I think everybody in this league can score. It's how you're going to defend and how, you know, how you're going to defend in the crunch. And, uh, you know, the, the Clippers are built to defend in the crunch. And I think, like, the Pelicans are going to make up for a lot of their offensive struggles that they will have because they are young and they're new. But they're going to make up for a lot of those areas because I think they're going to be pretty salty on the defensive end. Oh, without a doubt, they got the best defensive backcourt in the league, and I'll I'll take that to the bank. Um, Lonzo Lonzo Ball and Drew Holiday are going to light it up on the defensive end. But you know, I I guess with you being a proclaimed defensive guy, so you know, I I still play recreational basketball. Uh, I still play in a league, which of course is is fun and good time. But, That's um, dangerous, man. That's a dangerous life you're living. Yeah, well, dude, did you see the picture from four months ago when I got my head split open? Like, oh, my gosh. I've seen so many guys, like, split their heads open, tear their, tearing their knees up. Yeah. I got up about two years ago. So, bless you. Bless I, you. For, you're, you're living life on the edge, my friend. Absolutely. To, I actually... Yeah, well, now, you know, it's tough to wake up without back pain, but, you know, got to live the dream. Until they stop recruiting, yeah. I don't stop playing, you know what I mean? That's right. But, That's uh, right. no, man, like, one of the tough parts for me as as a fan, as a former, uh, and I use the term very loosely, athlete, one of the things I've always understood, especially with football, basketball, and soccer, is spacing, knowing how to get position on somebody. You know, I, I, I make up the story, or I, I don't make it up, but I uh, reflect on the story about us playing tackle football, me going out there, turning into freaking Randy Moss when I run a five five forty at best. Um, but, you know, it's always kind of been my MO with, with sports is I've just found myself in the right positions at the right time despite having a vertical leap of four inches despite being slow but it's all about awareness anticipation and everything like that and I think that's one of my biggest struggles when I watch sports uh, as well as when I play them because especially in basketball I've learned to love the game more than any other sport and nothing frustrates me more than not understanding zone, not understanding how to get the get the advantage on your man. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I can lock down anybody. If someone's athletic and knows the game, they're going to crush me. But there there are little tricks and tips you can use to help yourself become to, – to, to essentially maximize your defense, even offense in basketball. Because you know as well as I do, if you get congestion, if you get – two people on the wing who are ball shadowing, your offense becomes irrelevant. If you got people not sticking in their zone, well, now you're going to get lit up. If you're in a 2-3, you're already susceptible to give up threes. But if you got people breaking zone, dude, you're going to get murdered. And I think that's one of my biggest frustrations with sports. So for you as a coach, um, you know, 
how how do you get that message across i guess to your players to whether you're in man or zone how do you get them in the right positions as much as humanly possible well you know the thing the thing that i've had to learn in high school is i I can't run my own system i can't you know in college i could say i I could pick players to run this specific system with this specific defense and all these different schemes now in high school and that's why i think high school coaches are some of the best coaches in america you got what you got yeah you can't pick what you got so you've got to adapt your system to what these kids are doing so how do you how do you get get them into the spots that you desire i guess like you're saying everything is about spacing creating space like you're saying how can i expose bad angles offensively and how can i minimize you know how can I, if I'm a step slower, you know, you know, make up for my lack of athleticism per se through taking good angles? Uh, so it's all about, I mean, repetition, honestly, and it seems boring, but nobody realizes the amount of time that these incredible athletes like Kawhi and LeBron and all these guys, the amount of time they're putting in on a daily basis. You know, they're having two and three hour workouts. Uh, on game days, you know, but uh, I work with this guy, uh, his name is John Beck, and uh, he works with, for Pure Sweat is the name of this company, but they train guys like Bradley Beal and some pretty big time NBA guys. And so John a lot Beck, is he a, uh, is he a former quarterback? No, no, he played basketball at Arkansas State. But, okay, because uh, there's a John Beck that's a former quarterback, I think yeah. BYU, I was like, huh. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, but uh, I, I spend a lot of time talking to him. He works with a lot of our players. And I was actually talking to him this morning. And uh, how many different reads, you as a basketball guy, do you think a ball handler has off of a ball screen? Just just throw a number out there if you had to guess. How many reads? Like, coming Ooh. off, what are you going to do when you come off the ball screen? Uh... I mean, you can either dish it to the pick and roll unless you got them picking and popping. I mean, I would say on average per play, I would say three to four minimum. Okay, so they, he was telling me when they're working out with somebody like Bradley Beal, there are 86 different reads what the that, f- they're te- yeah, that they're teaching these NBA players. Oh, my God. So imagine the amount of time and repetition it takes for a guy to come off of that ball screen and know exactly what, what, which of the 86 different things he can do. Yeah. You know, so that's how anyone becomes great. They have to, like, see, you're, you're, you, I would consider you to be somebody as, as, a, as knowledgeable as any sports fan out there. But how many of the common man know that that guy's got 86 different reads to make? And, you know, a lot of the time, yeah, they're going to make the right one, but the amount of time it takes to learn to do those things and, and, just, and that's just one part of the game. That's just a ball screen. Yeah, well, I guess, yeah, <laughs> I guess. about all the other, other aspects of the game that, that are so minute, so little that people don't think about. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess from a standpoint, as I'm thinking about it, you know, someone sets a screen for you. I mean, at the very elementary level, if you're operating one side of the floor, of course you have someone typically on the wing or the corner that you can operate to if they crash in on a roll you can take it to the goal there's a couple of different things but i guess from his standpoint 
well, yeah, now I can pull a step back because I have that skill. Now I can go between the legs and split defenders, or I can pull up from mid-range. And, yeah, I I guess now that it's said out loud, it's just kind of like, oh, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, so unless you're, like, very well-versed in these things, like, I mean, even the guys that are at the most elite level are constantly working on these new things and new concepts. And so if you're not spending time doing these things, point being is there's so many small parts of the game that, that people don't be like you said, like we talked about earlier, like that the common person or common fan don't realize go into putting the product out on the floor. It's just, it's, it's, it's eye opening. Getting back to what we talked about, everything I've seen from this side of things, it's absolutely eye opening. Well, it's crazy because the NBA level, once you start talking about those guys, you know, a lot of those guys get a stigma and it just sticks with them. Um, Whether it's LeBron's not clutch or um, I guess LeBron's the biggest example because I think he's been the most criticized while also the the most idolized in our generation. But, oh, he can't shoot. Oh, he can't. He's not clutch. And he's had all these different knocks on him. But let's keep in mind, LeBron, when he first broke into the league, he was a terrible mid-range shooter. He didn't have much of a three ball. And he did. He had a broken jumper. But after so many years of training and him being, you know, completely ingrained in basketball, dude, he's become one of the most efficient scorers ever. You know, when, especially now with all the MVP debates of triple-doubles and all these things like Harden this season, but people fail to realize, well, he isolated more than any other NBA team for a long period of time. That was a two- or three-month stretch, and that's not just blowing smoke. That's fact. The guy averaged more isolations than every NBA team, so naturally his stats get a little inflated. That doesn't mean Harden's not a great player. But my point being is a lot of people become so ingrained in these eye-popping numbers, but they fail to see, okay, cool, well, you're going to sit here and blow smoke up Mr. Triple Double or Mr. 30 and 6 or whatever it may be. But here's here's LeBron who averages on maybe his worst year 48% from the floor. 36% 36% from three while averaging 27, 8, and 7. You know, in terms of efficiency standpoint, you know, we hear that word a lot in sports, and I think that is the most misunderstood term, especially in basketball, especially with Russell Westbrook and triple doubles and things like that. So it's just those little intricate parts of the game that I think people just, like you said, get lost on. Well, I, I am a I'm a big LeBron defender. I I'm gonna I people get on LeBron, but he's a winner, man. Yeah. He wins. And this is the first year he didn't win. His well, think about all the basketball he's had to play. How many finals in a row has he made? Right. You know, before this year, so his body was going to you know playing on Team USA and all those things. His body was gonna wear down at some point. Well, dude, and the and thing it is, did, it finally did. I'm saying it finally did this year, and now I think God, they're gonna be dangerous if he's gonna be healthy. Oh, absolutely. You know, which, I think, which I think he's gonna be because he's the best player in the world. Well, dude, that's he's what. Still the best player in the world. 
going back to that prisoner of the moment mentality that I kind of talked about earlier when we were talking, the big problem with sports fans and the whole echo chamber is, okay, so someone will talk about LeBron and write him off right now because of the season he had last year in terms of his win share, but he still put up solid numbers. Um, People say he's done, but in the same breath, they're going to talk about guys like like Giannis, um, who really had his coming out party getting the MVP, which he did deserve this year. But people are already crowning him as possibly the best player. Um, and it's it's literally been one season that he has been at the elite level. Let's Let's hinder it back. Let's not crown him just yet. Just like I don't think you can take the crown from LeBron just yet. And that's what I've been saying about L.A. is... There's a lot of turmoil there. There was last year. I think that's going to kind of smooth over this year. LeBron's got his quote-unquote hand-picked team now. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm also a huge LeBron defender just because I hate the idea of chasing the shadow that is Michael Jordan because to some people you're never going to win with them. And as one of my best friends always tells me, argue with someone smarter than you, you probably lose. Argue with someone dumber than you, you're always going to lose. So it's just a battle that's never going to be won. Right, right. So, uh, like you said, I, I, I think the only person you can start to put in this, like, legitimately long-term resume that you can put in the same breath as him right now is Kawhi, because he's won. You know, he's won and he's done it over a period of time. Well, he's done it uh, over a not, period of time, and he's done it with multiple teams, multiple rosters, right. multiple players, multiple right. coaches even. You know, what he did in Toronto this year was amazing. You know, I kind of wrote Toronto off. I I had them going to the Eastern Conference Finals, but I, I thought for sure the Bucks were just going to cakewalk through them, and they didn't. So Kawhi's a freaking gamer, man. The dude just turns it on and... You know, because of his lead by example mentality, which I love that the league is going more to this, this rookie class is impressive. And a lot of these young guys like Giannis, dude, they all have these major chips on their shoulder. And I think that is going to be for an amazing NBA in the next, you know, five to 10 years. Well, I think it's becoming now that they realize they don't have to be flamboyant or showy or have these big personalities because that's the people who get in a lot of trouble in their careers get derailed so once they you know and you can say this about lebron like when have you ever seen lebron in any sort of trouble for anything he's ever said or done never yeah he's a little he's a little more outspoken but i think this like business mentality that a lot of these guys are starting to have like this is a business like this is this is not uh, you know yes it is a game but Durant even he gets involved in all that Instagram stuff but uh, he he goes about his business to business to him and I think like you said it's it, it makes for an exciting NBA it, it makes for people that you feel good about rooting for not a bunch of guys that are doing things they're not supposed to be doing yeah now last question before we wrap up here uh, with you being a Pelicans fan we were talking about this the other day. Um, so aside from the Zion, uh, pick, you know, seeing some of the summer league games and things like that, 
Nikhil Alexander Walker or Jackson Hayes? Uh, Who's your long term pick? Uh, I'd say whew, we're gonna. Have, I would like. I think they're both going to end up being very good, solid, solid, solid NBA players. Uh, but I think I'm gonna go with Nikhil. Like I just, I like his game. Uh, he's long. He can score. He's aggressive. Uh, he's a good defender. Uh, just that like three and D guy that that we have lacked for ten plus years. Um, <laughs> I think Jackson Hayes. Uh, you know, he had he had a great summer league. Obviously, look at his numbers. He made the All Star summer league team. Uh, but I think the rebounding like kind of needs to go up. And like we were talking about the other day, I was curious to see them kind of take him out on defensive possessions at the end of, of that Memphis game the other night, um, which makes you think there's still some like question marks about how he covers pick and rolls or how he, you know, how he defends his rebound, defensive rebound percentage. Like those are kind of the things that, I think if he can improve on those, he could be a monster, a double-double machine. You know, go go get, you know, 12 points, 12 rebounds, and three blocks a game. Like, that's something that he could become. Um, but I think that's just going to come with time. And he's young. He's like 19 years old, like a lot of these guys are. Absolutely. So, so if he's going to – I think if he has the right mentality, he could, he could fill into that, you know, classic Tyson Chandler role or that, you know, what DeAndre Jordan – is doing or did when he was real good for the Clippers, you know, those 12, 13 points, 12, 13, 14, 15 rebounds. Like that could be a great role for him in, in this team, you know, go up and, and offensively just going up and catching lobs from all these guys. So uh, I think both of those guys are really, really exciting. And I think uh, they were great picks, uh, obviously other than Zion. Definitely, man. I'm with you all the way. 110%. I think I do think both of those guys become, major staples for the Pelicans. Um, and I, I've shared the same sentiment with you as far as Jackson Hayes goes, like 12-12-3. I see him very, being very much like a rich man's Tyson Chandler. And I could see uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker becoming more of like a Jamal Crawford type player. Like I can definitely see him being a six-man type guy who can just give you that instant spark off the bench, which is something the Pelicans could always use. Um but that being said, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. It was a uh, it was a good time. Yeah, man, I really enjoyed it. Uh, good luck with this thing. I hope uh, I hope it, it, it you have a lot of success with it, and I'll uh, I'll be keeping up. Sounds good, man. I'm sure it won't be the last time you're on. And uh, have fun in Ireland, boss. All right, man. See you later. All right, brother. Take care. Now for the first topic of no huddle, fantasy football. Guys, we are about a month out from fantasy football. Uh, This release is August 1st, so in a little over a month, I will be doing my fantasy draft. I am so excited. I cannot wait for this season. Fantasy football is amazing all the way through, from the trash talk to the draft to the bets to the humiliation factor, to just trying to one-up your friends. There's nothing greater than fantasy football. And to quote one of my favorite TV shows, The League, the great 
powerful Pete Eckhart of fantasy football. There are many things a man could do with his time, but this is better than those things. The Boston Celtics basically switch Kyrie for Kemba Walker. Now, me personally, I think this is a huge win for the Celtics. No, Kemba doesn't have the same offensive presence that Kyrie does. You know, pound for pound, Kyrie's one of the best offensive players in the league. But what Kemba does better, he's a better teammate, he's a better defender, and he's not going to give you as many locker room headaches. If they were able to be successful with virtually the same roster when they had Terry Rozier running the point, who's a solid player, I think they'll be just fine with Kemba. I'm actually real high on the Celtics this year. I think getting Kemba was a big, big move for Boston. My wife and I just finished up Stranger Things recently, and I gotta say, season three is awesome. If you've never watched Stranger Things, you need to do yourself a favor and watch it. It is easily one of my five favorite shows I've ever seen. It's still early on, uh, obviously, with it being a Netflix original. But season three did not disappoint. Um, There were some new characters introduced. Of course, you had a lot of the same old characters. You had the feel-good moments. You had the heartbreaking moments. It was awesome. Season three for the win. I loved it. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for season four. Recently, there was an outpouring of NFL players ticked off about their Madden ratings or about teammates' Madden ratings. You had Tyron Matthew tweet about Deshaun's 82, and of course, now it's gaining some attention because so many are tweeting about it, but let's be honest, the Madden ratings are nothing more than a popularity contest, and of course, as a player, yes, I would absolutely cause a shitstorm if my Madden rating wasn't where I thought it should be. Madden is the creme de la creme of sports or of football video games because, well, it's the only one. Um, but a lot of people are ticked off. Quite frankly, what you see in the Madden rate in the Madden ratings is what you get from the Pro Bowl. It's basically guys going on and voting for their Pro Bowlers because they're cold and Madden. Let's call it for what it is. It's bullshit. And the last topic, Pat McAfee. Pat McAfee, former Colts punter, now has one of the most popular podcasts um, out there. He is fantastic. But on a recent episode, I want you guys, if you're into podcasts, look up Animal War. Um, So I was driving back from Atlanta from 4th of July, and I was listening to Pat McAfee. Well... Animal War, the entire premise was this big, drawn-out conspiracy theory about how animals, if they wanted to, could absolutely take over the human population. They dive into the military of the animals, what that would look like. I am not one that listens to conspiracy theories. Obviously, this was done in a joking way, but a lot of the things they were saying had some sort of truth bearing to it, which is why I think it was so damn entertaining. But go check that out. Pat McAfee podcast, Animal War. I'm going to go ahead and get out of here now. I appreciate those of you who tuned in to the first Hotard Huddle podcast. More to come. You can follow us on Facebook at Hotard Huddle. You can follow us on Instagram, also at Hotard Huddle. Follow me on Twitter uh, at Michael Hotard. And of course... Check us out, hotardhuddle.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.
tuning in to the Hotard Huddle Podcast. New episodes release on the 1st and 15th of every month. To stay up to date with all the latest episodes, visit us at hotardhuddle.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hotard Huddle.